0: 11, 11 through to 33, it is going to be up on the screen, however, if you want to get a Bible out, keep your finger in that, um, that'll help, I think. Um, Before we get moving, I do need to acknowledge one thing, and that is that this chapter of the Bible is possibly the most difficult chapter of the Bible. So let's just, uh, I just want to say that out loud before we get going. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is uh, when the Apostle Paul writes that there are some things that, uh, the Apostle Peter, I should say, Peter, the Apostle Peter says that there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. I have no proof, but I'm pretty sure he was talking about Romans 11. In his mind, he's like, man, that one. Like, you can just imagine, okay, this is Peter. He's the leader of the Apostles. He was with Jesus for three years, and he's reading Romans for the first time, and he gets to this part, and he's just like, what is going on here? He has to read it 17 times just to kind of... What is he trying to say here? Anyway, um, that's in the Bible. So, yes, we have the leader of the apostles saying that Paul can be hard to read. Okay, that's there. Let's just acknowledge that that, that, that is in the Bible. Let's pray, given that that fact, though Peter had a hard time with it, we're going to need some prayer. Um, and we're just going to ask that the Lord would actually speak, speak to us. Lord, we, we need you. We need your help today just to understand, Lord, so would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us spiritual insight, which in our own, on our own de- devices, on our own terms, Lord, we are lacking? And so, Lord, would you give us the gift of illumination? Would the, would the scriptures come alive by the power of your spirit? Would we understand your will and your word today in this passage? We thank you for it. It is glorious. It is something that inspires worship, but we need your help pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I wonder if you can think of a time in your life, a season of life maybe, where you felt like everything was spiraling out of control. I can think of a particular season in in our life, uh, my family, 2018, where it just felt like we were taking body blow after body blow after body blow to the degree that it felt like we're just like, could we keep going with this? Like, this is, this is as hard as it gets. Without going into any of the gory details here at the time, you, uh, you guys heard about it, but uh, it felt like we squeezed in a decade worth of suffering into a year. That's what it felt like. And looking back, that's what, it, that's what it still feels like that happened that year. Some of you here might be experiencing a similar kind of season. This is the real world, right? We suffer. The world is populated by only sinners and sufferers. We are Sufferers, and it's not—it's—it's um, it's hard in those seasons to not genuinely ask the question, as the psalmists do. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? What is happening here, Lord? What on earth is going on? Life can get real confusing, as a Christian included, right? And if we're not careful, we can let that confusion sit over our faces as like a lens by which we look at the rest of our lives and it confuses everything we see today's passage and really all of kind of romans 9 to 11 here paul is riding into a situation where it looks like god's plan has gone entirely wrong everything's out of control nothing's worked as god said it was going to work and so he's concerned with just one big question, and it's the question that you all had in your minds as you came to church this morning. God, what about Israel? Did, 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 were you driving to church thinking that? God, what about Israel? What's, what's the deal there? I know you all had that question. But seriously, the, the, this, is Paul, this is what Paul's trying to answer. What about all of those promises that God gives his people in the Old Testament? are they just void now that jesus has come the church has started all those promises just they're just void we don't need them anymore how is it how could it possibly be that the messiah came the one they were waiting for and they rejected him how could that happen how could they miss it of all things lord how could your people reject your king and so, look. If you're visiting with us today, if this is your first week at Anagoria, or if, you're the, if this is your first week of, of Romans, um, and you're not too familiar with what's going on in the storyline of the Bible, um, that that question, it feels, to be honest, it feels irrelevant. It feels irrelevant. Like you know, I'm over here doing my thing with God, or I'm still trying to like work out this this whole God thing, and like the whole is like it doesn't really affect me what God does with Israel, right? Like, that, 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 like, how does that have any bearing on me? It seems a bit abstract to make any real kind of difference. Other of us, if, you've, if you're like an inaugural regular, right? You've been here since day one of Romans. <laughs> um, and you've been here through Romans 9 11. Then for you, you're probably having a different thought, which is, haven't we already done this? Didn't we kind of do this for two weeks in Romans 9 and 10? Hasn't, haven't we already kind of basically done this, right? And so if you're here, you're in the, uh, this is a relevant camp over this side, or if you're in the inaugural, um, haven't we already done this camp, right? Both of you guys, here's my pitch, all right, uh, well, as to why you should pay attention. We believe that if God says something once, it is both true and important. We should listen. When he spends three long chapters circling around, highlighting, underlining, Big asterisks on the side, right? When he's doing that, he's clearly trying to get our attention. He's saying, pay attention to this. This is important. There's actually a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. So what is at stake with this question? This is what's at stake. Can we trust God? Can we trust Him? Is He trustworthy? Is He going to keep His promises? Because... If he's not going to do it with Israel, why would we expect he'd keep his promises to us? Do you, do, you see the, do you see what's at stake? Is God faithful to Israel? If he's not, then how can we expect him to be faithful to us? What is at stake here is the character of God and whether or not we can trust him with our futures. That's what's at stake in this chapter of the Bible. It is a big passage. And so to give us some structure today, we're going to chop it into three parts Uh, I've got it up there. They'll they'll hopefully help us just think it through. I've got God's unexpected methods, firstly, in uh, verses 11 through 15, uh, about Israel's jealousy. We've got God's unexpected grace, grafted branches into the tree, and finally, God's unexpected promise, mystery of Israel's future. All right. You ready? Let's, let's get going. All right, welcome back to Romans 11, by the way. Um, this sermon was to be preached three weeks ago, by the way. So like we're, this is three weeks late, and Matt's been doing a great job treading water. Not doing more than treading water, doing a great job preaching the word. But uh, we have to press pause on this passage. Here we go. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. He's talking about Israel. Did they, did they reject God in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, Inasmuch inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, how much more will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Here's what's going on. Israel rejects their king. They reject their Messiah. Non-Jews receive the king as their own king. And... God did it that way on purpose, so as to make Israel jealous. We just read the word jealous there twice. Right? I got it highlighted. That's weird. Let's, can I just say that? Isn't, that? isn't that a weird thought? Let's think this through for a moment. It's a weird concept, I think. So I just want to spend a little bit of time just thinking what it means. We know, the Bible teaches very clearly, that God doesn't lead anyone into sin. Okay? So this word jealousy is not talking about a sinful jealousy, He doesn't want them to sin. He wants them to wake up. He wants to provoke in them a reaction, a response. He wants them to see what's in front of their faces. He's trying to get their attention. Hey, Israel, are you paying attention to what I'm doing? He's trying to help them rethink their status quo with God, where they stand with him. Do you see that? Um, Let me tell you a little story. We'll jump into the DeLorean, just the flax capacitor. Go back to 2009. I was like 19 or 20, something like that. I'm not sure exactly. Um, 2009, my now wife was just then my very good friend, uh, and had been so platonically for five years. Uh, We uh, were purely friends, and over that time something grew so that there wasn't anything, but there wasn't nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, You all, yeah, that's right. You all know how it ended up. So like. You don't have, like, you just have to imagine, like, the Ross and Rachel level of suspense the whole time. Um, some of you were there and you'll remember. Um, one of the things, genuinely, and I told the rest of this after I wrote this, I was like, I don't know if I've ever told you this. One of the things that for me triggered the domino effect of the various kind of things that led us to getting together was purely the hypothetical possibility existing that you might date someone else. There was no one else on the scene. And yet just the concept made me go, huh, why am I, why am I bothered by that? Right? I, <laughs> it wasn't jealousy. However, I, I was provoked to rethink the relationship. I was woke, woken up to what was in front of my face to go, oh, okay, I think I see this now. And I needed that because I was a stupid young man. <laughs> as every young man is, right? We're just, we're just a dumb lot. We get, we get wiser with age. Um, but this, is, this is basically what's happening, right? The Lord was using the, Gentile, the worship of the Gentiles to wake up his people, and he's using that. And so in the same way, yeah, he's, he's using the worship of, of us pagans, turning to him, becoming followers of him, being welcomed into the family to provoke his people to faith. Can I say this? Sidebar, this is like... Put put, put that down for a second. Let me just put this thought out to you. You might be here, and you don't believe any of this. And if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome at our church. We love it when people come here who don't necessarily have faith. This is a safe place for you to, like, you can admit that to us. You won't offend us. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. But hypothetically, if there was a God in heaven, and he wanted to get your attention, what do you think he might do to provoke you to wake up? How would he st- help you see what's in front of your face? What do you think he would do? Well, from my experience, it often takes suffering. It often takes loss, profound disappointment. It doesn't have to, but this is how it often works. Profound disillusionment with the way our life is and a sense of, Is this really all there is? Before we just wake up and and, and think about what is happening in our lives. I pray he would get your attention without that. Maybe you're here today because this is what's happened to you. I know a bunch of us came to faith that way. I pray that if you're here, he would get your attention. I suspect that's why you're here already. Sidebar over. Next section. Ready? Ready? That's his unexpected methods. He's going to use jealousy to provoke his people. Uh, He then gives us two illustrations to show us God's grace. God's unexpected grace. Verse 16. If the dough offered as first first fruits is holy, so is the whole, whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others... And now share the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. All right, so here's the image, right? You've got an olive tree, beautiful tree, growing wonderfully well. And this tree represents the people of God, okay? Okay. Its roots go deep into the soil, and those roots represent the covenant promises to Israel. Okay? It's built on these covenant promises. In the, in the, in the metaphor, uh, the soil, the roots support the tree. He says, some of the branches are broken off. So those branches represent unbelieving Israel today and in the past. Unbelieving Israel, they are no longer part of the tree. They're no longer drawing on the sap, the the nourishing lifeblood of that tree. They are disconnected. They are dead. They're excluded because of their rejection of Jesus. Then, God takes some random branches, right? A wild olive tree. That's us, by the way. We're the the random branches. And he grafts them in to that tree. Grafts them. Do you see the picture? That's a that's, that's how they do it. They do it still today, right? I'm not a botanist, but it's a thing. And so he's talking about non-Jewish Christians, right? That's, that's all of us who are, who are not Jewish. We are grafted in. We don't stand in the line of promise, and yet we are grafted into that line of promise. We are outsiders that God welcomes in, literally, because he grafts us in. He, he adopts us, and he makes us part of his people so that we begin to draw on the lifeblood life of the tree. Right? We, begin to, we are nourished by the roots. God's promises to Israel begin to be our promises too. Did you know that this is how God operates? This is his MO. This is how he likes to do things. He likes to take outsiders and make them insiders. He likes to take random branches and make them part of his family. It's how he does his thing. He wants you to come in. He wants to graft you in. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not an insider. You feel like an outsider. Guys, the Lord grafts in random branches to become part of his family. He wants you to know what it means to belong. He can give you that. Then we get this warning, verse 19. Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Then you will say branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Do not become proud, but fear. What is it in this passage that the Bible is telling us that we should actively fear? There is something. What are we told to fear? God is telling us we should fear falling into unbelief. Like Israel. We should fear that. That should be a fear. We ought never to take the gift of grace so lightly that we cease to be aware of just how fickle our hearts are, how easily we are seduced by other things. We ought never think of ourselves as so highly. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. I've I've parented through the toddler phase twice. And I can tell you it is a win when they become afraid of that. Right? The gas stove on. It's a win. It's a win when that happens. Why? Because the alternative is a trip to the ER. Right? Paul is saying that there should be a healthy fear in us around our unbelief. It's healthy because that fear keeps us from danger, right? There, are some, like, there is a good kind of fear is what I'm trying to say. You should be afraid of swimming with sharks. You should be afraid of that. You should be afraid of jumping out of a plane. I know some people do it, but you should be afraid of that. You should be afraid of wearing a blue shirt at Suncorp Stadium. That should frighten you, right? Right? It shows that you're a sane person, that you'd be afraid of that, right? In the same way, friends, if you're a Christian today, there should be a healthy fear in you of unbelief. You should be entirely aware that you're capable of drifting into unbelief. Most people don't go from I love Jesus on Monday to I hate Jesus on Tuesday, right? That doesn't tend to happen. It has happened, I'm sure. But it tends to be what? Drift. Just drift. Jesus taught us in the Gospels, right? The parable of the seed sown, right? The Gospel sown into the soil. The seed of faith, this plant grows. But what grows next to it? Weeds. And over time, these weeds can strangle out the seed of faith. Jesus tells us about two particular types of weeds in particular that we need to take care extra special care of. The first weed that is a faith killer, Jesus tells us, is the cares of this world. The cares of this world. Other things just feel more important than God. Can we all admit that that is just true? All the time. The cares of this world. Whatever it is, right? We have jobs to do. We have a study to get done. We have relationships to maintain. We have uh, houses to renovate. We have big plans for our lives. We want to go on that holiday. We just have life. Life just accumulates. The weeds are growing. And if unchecked, there will be no space for Jesus. I feel like this is easier and easier and easier to do than it was. Maybe that's just me. It is easy to have a low priority upon the things of Jesus, the things of the Lord. Gathering together on Sunday. Small group on Wednesday, whatever night you do that, right? Daily devotional time. It's, it feels like other things are more important all the time. Friends, it's a weed growing. As Matt said before, right? We want to just look around the, our, our church today and say, man, sickness is killing us. We want to pray over that. We also want to pray that it's not the cares of this world as well, that there isn't a spiritual element here, that we're letting other stuff overtake us. We're going to pray over that. Beware of the weed of the cares of this world. The second weed that Jesus says that we must beware of is the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches. We are seduced by stuff, money, houses, uh, iceberg lettuce, you know, whatever it is. Just, we're seduced by that. (laughs) I don't like last book lettuce at all. Um, But these things, they feel more real to us, right? They feel more real to us than treasures in heaven. They're not. They're not more real. They're going to rust and decay, and there'll be a day where it doesn't matter. Our treasures in heaven will last forever. Let's all admit, it is easy to be more concerned with the stuff of this world than the stuff of heaven. These weeds represent a slow and steady substitution of our affections from the Lord to the things of this world. We beware. Note the kindness of God towards us in Christ. He grafted us into his family. But note also his severity towards those who would fall into unbelief. This is why Paul tells us in Philippians two twelve right, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is a serious thing to consider yourself, the state of your soul, in front of the living God. It's a serious thing. May we be honest today with ourselves, honest today with the Lord about the state of our hearts. Seek His grace. Seek His grace. Verse 23, even they, if they do not, this is, I love this promise, has this? Even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. He's saying he took an olive branch off the ground and made a part of his family. How much more can he take the old branches and put them back in, right? He has the power to do that. For if you are cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in, contrary to nature, It is uh, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Friends, the gospel of grace, the gospel of undeserved grace, is still open to all who would receive it. Anyone who would come can be grafted in through faith in Jesus. He's saying here that there is a road back for Israel, and it's only through the grace of Jesus. It's only through faith in Jesus. Which leads us to our final point today. God, God's unexpected methods that, through jealousy, right? God's unexpected grace, the grafted branches, us wild olive branches. And finally, God's unexpected promise, the mystery of Israel's future. This is where all the ink gets spilled in the book of Romans. Uh, this is, this is the, where the theologians love to debate over this stuff. Uh, verse 25, these two verses in particular. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until into the, into the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. But regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as but as, as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, and now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Wowzers. Okay. We could, uh, we, yeah. I was saying to Matt this week. We always like, need to like, preach this and then like, have like, a, afterwards, I'll do like a Bible study on it to spend some time on it. Uh, but I didn't, we're not doing that. Um, there's a few big questions raised here. We're basically just going to look at one. Okay. Uh, on interpreting this passage in context. Um, I'm going to give you two big views that within like, the scholarly world, there is, a, there is like lots of people hold both sides, really good biblical reasons to hold both views. I'll give you my very, very, very slight reading. Um, here we go. Ready? I've got it on a slide so that you can kind of see it. Oh, it's a bit small. Sorry, guys. All right, here we go. First interpretation. This passage is saying that there is a day out there in the future where God will bring a miraculous revival among the people of Israel, the ethnic nation of Israel, right? Miraculous revival, And this comes from, of course, verse 20, I've got it up there, verse 26. A partial hardening will come upon Israel until the, until, that's the key word for them, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So it's not explicitly said in the text, but basically the idea is that that partial hardening will be released. There'll be a releasing of that hardening, and there'll be a revival. And as a group, this ethnic, ethnic Israel will come to faith in its entirety. It doesn't necessarily mean every literal individual person that carries the blood of Abraham, but that, that Israel as a corporate entity will come to faith. And again, the, the key word there is until, right? It's going to be hardening. Hardening will be lifted. Once the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and mass revival for the nation of Israel. So a ton of scholars read, read Romans 11 and go, yeah, look, there really does seem to be a promise here of a future revival among Israel. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, the second reading of this, of this verse basically points out that all the way through Romans 9, 10, 11, the main theme has been what? Remnant? Election. Remnant in particular, right? That with, and the, the, the idea being that, that within ethnic Israel, there is a subgroup, a subsection of the whole, which is true Israel. Right? So you've got every kind of person that carries the blood, and then you've got those who are true Israel. You have Paul back in Romans 9, 6, and 11 saying, Not all of Israel is Israel, right? In this verse here, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are his children, uh, children of Abraham because they belong, because they are his offspring. Not all are children of Abraham because they're his offspring, right? There's his children, and then there's his children, right? There's Israel, and then there's Israel. And so the people on this team say, all Israel are here. When, when he says, all Israel will be saved, he's talking about true Israel, right? All those who will be saved by the provoking of the Gentiles and will come to faith in Jesus. And this was happening in Paul's day. It's happening through history, and it'll happen until the end. Does that make sense? If you want those notes, come ask me and I'll I'll shoot you through. Um, So, both of those are well and truly Christianity, okay? Uh, The debates are in-house debates, right, within uh, great Christian scholars. A ton of good biblical evidence on both sides of the the equation as to what we should expect here. Uh, Schleppet cards on the table. Matt is definitely on team one, all right? Yep. Um, and, um, and I was by default before I started preparing the sermon and started reading, and I think the, my very slight reading is number two, but very slight. I'm very happy to be wrong on this. In fact, it would be awesome if I was wrong, because who hates revival, right? Um, but I think the theme of the remnant uh, is, is in, the, in the flow of thought, and that makes more sense to me. Either way, all right? Either way, here's what God is saying in this passage. God is not done with Israel. Not done. Not by a long shot, right? He is not done with Israel. He's what we can definitely expect to happen. The gospel of King Jesus, the good news of his rule and his reign, and that salvation can be found in him, the good news of the gospel will continue to go forwards, will continue to reap fruit, and people will come to faith. There'll be, and the Hebrews in particular will be regrafted back into the tree for the glory of God. All right, let me just help us lay in the plane here with just two applications before we return to worship. What is it we can take away from this big picture question of God's faithfulness to Israel and his promise to to continue to bring them in and regraft them in? Two things I want you to take away from today. Firstly, God intentionally uses what looks like catastrophic failure. To bring about his ends. He intentionally does that. That's on purpose. He takes chaos and brings order. He takes the worst and brings joy. He, it's just something he likes to do. He takes disorder, chaos, failure, and turns it into something beautiful. He's really good at it. He's been doing it for a long time. And he's a master at it. Just think of the cross of Jesus. Man, if there wasn't a day where it looks like God's plan had failed, it's the Messiah being crucified by the Romans. You were meant to bring the kingdom of Israel. You were meant to bring the kingdom of God, and here you are hanging on a tree. That is a dark day. What was God doing? He was defeating death. He was defeating Satan. He was defeating sin. He was conquering while he was dying. dying. Do you see that? Friends, this is just how Jesus operates. Today you need to know this. The world feels out of control, doesn't it? Whether it's geopolitics making everyone stressed out, and fair enough, right? Whether it's cultural upheaval, feels like we're living on like history books on fast forward, where everything's just moving so much faster than it used to. Economic crisis, whether it's that kind of scale of global uncertainty, or if it's just the stuff in your life that's hard sickness, again, mental health, isolation, right? Whatever it is, personal circumstances, right? None of it is happening outside of Jesus' direct lordship. Direct Lordship. He is there. Nothing's catching him by surprise. And he loves to use those things to bring something out of it that is beautiful. Just because you can't understand why something is happening in your life doesn't mean it's not there on purpose or for a reason. No matter how painful, I believe that. God loves to use what seems like catastrophic failure to achieve his redemptive ends. He does. I believe that. Secondly, this is so important. God can be trusted because his promises are irrevocable. His promises are irrevocable. He has not, and he will not, and he cannot break his word. He cannot, and he will not, and he has not ever broken his word Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon says that God's promises are longer than life broader than sin deeper than the grave and higher than the clouds God cannot break his word his promise to you to be your father through Christ is irrevocable this is the promise 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That promise is irrevocable. His promise to be with you always is irrevocable. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says in Hebrews. His promise to lead you by his Spirit is irrevocable. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If he's your father, then he's going to lead you by his Holy Spirit. His promise to strengthen you in times of need. Irrevocable. How's this one? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand promise to give you eternal life It's irrevocable did you hear that it's irrevocable jesus said i am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though he die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die friends if you find yourself stuck in despair Pick up these weapons of faith and go to war. These promises are irrevocable. These are for you. You're meant to use them. Take them up. Go to war against your despair. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We even thank you for the particularly interesting parts of your word. Lord, they bless us in unexpected ways. Today, Lord, we want to confess our perpetual inclination towards disbelief. And rebuke that in us. And ask for your grace to believe again. Help us trust in your word. Help us stand on it like it is solid ground because it is. Would these promises strengthen us? Would the knowledge that you are not done with your people strengthen us? it lead us to prayer? Lord, whatever it is we're facing in our lives today, Lord, everyone in this room, there's a million and one different. Anxieties, concerns, things that keep us up at night, Lord. You know them all. In the same way you know the galaxies that we just saw on the internet this week, Lord, you know them all. None of them are out of control. Help us step back into reality. Lord, for those of us here today who... feeling provoked by you to rethink how they approach you lord would they hear the invitation to come and receive grace mercy compassion would they hear the invitation to come and be grafted in to the tree lord and receive these promises as their own Would you give them boldness to respond in faith. Holy Spirit, would you minister to each and every one of us now as we respond? Pray for these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.